Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santopatre. Our guest this week is a writer, producer, musician, occasional songwriter, a New York Times best-selling author, an Emmy-nominated actor, and one of the most admired and enduring stand-up comedians in the business. Now, I noticed you laughed a little when you said that. <laughs> like, maybe you didn't mean it. No, I thought that was off the... I, that, was that off the top of your head, or are you reading a prepared statement? <laughs> no, this is what I remember about it. <laughs> you want to take another swing at that? I, I don't no, think, I don't think I, you sold I, it. I think... I think about you all you, the time. You were good right up to the most admired, and then you were... <laughs> yeah, I don't the other shit, I'll give him. See, I sometimes just to start a conversation, I'll just tell him your credits. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Does that work? Well, I felt like a part was left out uh-huh. when what, it what, said... What was left out? <laughs> Emmy-nominated actor. Uh-huh. It, uh, it should have been... But you didn't win. No, that's in there. But I, I think that's self-understood in the word nominated. Yeah. You know, it's like when they go, like a band that had three hits, and the yes. album, they'll say, this one, this one, this one, and others. Like, really? What would those be? Don't, don't worry about those. We have others. What would the names be? It's not so important. So, so I want to introduce you. As an Emmy losing. Yeah, no, that's good. There. That's good. Yeah, I like that. Because anybody, anybody could win. But to lose and then show up time after time. We have a guest here who, who sat uh-huh. and was uh, humiliated. Yo, you met him many yeah, times. Yes. Many times. Of course, he didn't win. Did not win. We have a guest. It wasn't good enough. Uh-huh. Who? You can mention the people who did win that year. <laughs> Kelsey Grandma, put him down. Uh, you know his acting work from, <laughs> from films like Diner. Uh-huh. Okay, in case anyone asks. Uh-huh. Uh, I. <laughs> I worked with Steve Gutenberg uh-huh, uh-huh. in a Bad Medicine, and he was in Diner uh-huh. with, uh, what's his name, Kevin Bacon. Yes, yes, and Daniel Stern. I worked with you in both Beverly Hills Cop 2 yes. oh, and also The Aristocrats. And something else. That's at the end. No, and neither, by the way, and neither of those did we actually physically work together. We were in the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there was one yeah. that we actually did work together. I don't see it on your resume. Don't give it away. Mine. It's at the bottom of oh, the intro. Oh, oh okay. Okay, that'll be... This gives the audience a reason to listen. It's like a suspense. Uh-huh. I won't hey, say it. before anything else, I, I just found out... What an illegal <laughs> and sleazy scumbag the guy that was the police captain in Beverly Hills Cop was. Something Hill? Yeah, the guy who's always yelling what, what, at Eddie what Murphy. Was his, yeah, what was his name? Look it up. Something, something yes. Hill. Gil. Gilbert Hill. Gil Hill. Gil, Gil Hill. I heard uh, the illegal scumbag to the nth degree 
Why, do you, can you back that up? Uh, yes. Man passed away. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. So why am I lying to man? His fa- <laughs> on the off chance that his family, God bless him, is listening to your fucking thing. What, what, <laughs> do you think they need to be reminded of anything or impugned? Go ahead. Oh, it was on a TV I love, show. I came in here, Neil, to talk about somebody who's not here, not alive, who maybe didn't do the things you say. Yeah, allegedly. Okay. That's time I never get back. You know, you know his acting work from Thank Diner, Aliens, Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, I know the what? You, see, I was talking about a movie that we were. I, I was thinking oh, okay. if there was, but I did the other thing. Of course, I know. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2. Uh, funny people behind the candelabra. Now you're, now you're scraping. <laughs> Whiplash. I took those. Many of these have been off my resume for 12, 14 years. <laughs> is parties? Is, does parties? Is that so <laughs> You've seen them on dozens of hit TV shows. Yeah, there's no reason to yell. Just talk nice. <laughs> People here, they'll turn it up if they can't at, hear it. At this part, I get very excited. Oh Lord! <laughs> yeah, just talk regular. When I tell, when I when I tell people that you're in hit TV shows, yes, they don't know it. it but it gets me excited. Uh-huh. And then they need proof. Yeah, it's a good. And that's when I have to yell out. Yeah, no, that's good. Titles. Yeah. So uh, 40, 40 minutes on the intro. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, we're out of time. Get, get no through interview. It, Gil. The bro. <laughs> yeah. The Romanovs. Uh, Gil, I'm not, a, I'm not a young man. <laughs> so the faster we can do this part. Can you get through them? Yeah. Uh, and other stuff. Good. You Mention work? the things I have no, nothing to do with. Now, yes. now I, I I said I had to include you worked with Woody Allen. Because I, I remember that. I saw you on stage. Did you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, huh? I don't care. That's a good story. <laughs> no, no, don't kid yourself. That's a beauty. See, the way you milk it. See, <laughs> see normally, uh-huh. I started with a slow beginning. Uh-huh. But you're so and, excited. And then it's the build. And then the explosion. I saw you on stage. And everybody. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good story. <laughs> you worked with Woody Allen, Alan Arkin, Mel Brooks, Burnett. Now you just listen to other people in the business. How does this benefit me? All of these people have won awards. Uh-huh. <laughs> Unlike the uh-huh. guests we were able to scrape up. I'm, I'm, I'm honored to say, and I proudly say, I've never won anything. Anything. Not a free, not even a free coupon. An award. Never won an award. It's going to be my theme. So even if I ever get one, I'm not going to take it. Our guest has one shit. Uh-huh. He's won nothing. Nothing. No, but, oh, go oh, to the end. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the man has limited time. Oh, my Lord. Please welcome an artist. Oh, I just know say, you, you know what? I, 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 a nice picture here and there. <laughs> Something small like a pony or an orange. Sometimes a pony eating an orange. That's not easy. That was that one I have in my living room. Because you know what? To get the horse to hold it up to his mouth, and then also it's it's always a surprise to them how sour it is. So to get that expression, that was one of my best paintings. Okay, so the the man personally responsible uh-huh. for Steve Buscemi's acting career. Uh huh. 
and my one-time co-star. Uh-huh, there you go. In the classic yes. comedy pilot, yes. The Toast of Manhattan. Yes, there was it that is. The one, that was the one. The man. Oh, again with the yelling. Not good enough to win shit. <laughs> <laughs> How he keeps working. It's amazing. God only knows. Yeah. Paul Reiser. Wow. We're out of time, but thank you. What a treat. How, how do you feel about being a loser your entire you know, life and career? I hadn't thought about it this extensively until this afternoon now. What about it, uh, by the way? A toast of Manhattan, because you we had Barry Levinson on the Did show. Did he talk he, about he, that? Yeah, Gilbert busted his uh, balls that, about that's it. That's all he could talk no, about. What, what was it? <laughs> we busted his balls in the sense of why didn't it go, or what? Why? Oh, why it was ever made in the first no. place? What was it? You guys and Carol Leifer, right? A lot of people were in that. And ba- yeah, Barry, it was, Barry it, uh, it was the summer after. It was 1982, so it was the summer after Mad, uh, um, uh, Diner came out. And uh, I guess he had some heat, and he said, what would you like to do? And ABC, I think, gave him and said, yeah, go make a pilot with Rudy DeLuca. Yes. Oh, yeah, Rudy. And uh, Craig T. Nelson. Craig T. Nelson was in it. Yeah. and uh, All the old guys from the... A lot of funny people. I can't remember now. Uh, and some crazy... And, and I remember... What was it? It was it was basically uh, like a a behind the scenes of an Ed Sullivan type show. Oh, I see. So the talk of the like town talk of the, the show. show, and yes, so. it was like the Muppets with real people, like how the Muppets are always getting on ready. Yes, show. so the show was. I mean, it was a great idea. The show was like at at the end of the show on Sunday to right before the, sh- the curtain goes up on the following Sunday, getting ready. So it was a nice idea, and it was it was like a variety show backwards, you know, whatever. And, Wouldn't be and, the first pilot uh, to not go. Yeah. And certainly not the first pilot that you or I have made. <laughs> so there you go. It's it's a non-ending list. No, it's a huge list. Now, I, and I remember the uh, theme song. Really? Wow. It's the Toast of Manhattan, the Toast of Manhattan, and... And this must be Sunday. That's not true. The Toast of Manhattan, the Toast of Manhattan, and here's our own Friday. Every Sunday, every Sunday, with lots and lots of variety. That's not possibly true. That is. That was the theme that's song. That's it. That was the theme. Well, song. I think it answers your first question. Why did? <laughs> why didn't? Why it take did off? this not take off as it should have with a song like that? It. It 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 adds to that list. Look at our lives. It's now thirty-seven years later. Yes, and we're talking about a pilot that didn't go. <laughs> you want to explain the Buscemi thing too? Now that he's put it in the intro, yeah, and people are wondering why. Yeah. <laughs> let, let him come on let and talk wonder. about me. Exactly. We had him here actually. <laughs> that was a memorable interview, right, Gil? Uh, yeah, he, he, uh, yeah, what did he say? Because Frank had a thousand cards, everything on him. And and at one point, Buscemi turns to me career. and says, do you even know who I am? <laughs> he said, I like that Gilbert has only a casual 
knowledge of my yeah. career. Did you remember Buscemi from stand-up days? I didn't remember him, but I won't remember you. You no. leave today, well, so it doesn't matter. He said you beat him out of a cab because you guys shared a cab, and he assumed that yes. you were the working comic, that you were going to pick up the cab, but you just got out. Yes. Wait a minute. That Gil- doesn't sound that, at all like No. Gilly? Gilly walked out on a check? Yeah. I know. Shocking. <laughs> Give me a moment. Give me a moment to digest that. That's shocking. I just remembered something. Mm-hmm. At when we were doing this famous toast of Manhattan, yes, uh, we were both staying at the same the Oak, housing. Oakwood Apartments. Yes. Oh yes. Where everybody stays in L.A. like a little garden apartments that you can rent for a month or two till your pilot dies. Yes. <laughs> and I remember I had nothing to do during the day oh, or at yeah. night. Less than nothing. And. Uh, sometimes I'd stop over at your apartment, and I just wander around and I pick stuff up and I put it down and I I pick up you know you'd have like a hat and I look at it and or other stuff and and I then I turn around and you're staring at me the whole time I'm doing this wondering and, how you got in yes and you said you like et. <laughs> Yeah, like I'm this weird. Well, my recollection of that time because you did not, and probably still do not have a driver's license. No, he doesn't drive. That's a relief. So, (laughs) so because I'm out there. Yes. And I remember driving. It was a short drive, but I remember driving to work. And I remember you getting in the car and me looking at you in the car, and even that looked wrong. I went. Something in the evolution, even as a passenger. Yeah, it's like I don't even think he's doing this right. I know he's. There's nothing to do. Just sit there. But it just looked like hilarious. It looked like my grandfather getting off a mule and sitting in this newfangled thing. Like, how does this move? Is it rolling? That's how I lead my whole life. Yeah. It just didn't look right. <laughs> now, I heard you on the Malkoff podcast, Paul, and you were reminiscing about the days when Gilbert would walk the crowd. Would walk? Back, back in the clubs. He, he when he it. would just empty the room. Oh, walk. Well, yes. 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 Well, I don't think, uh, Gilbert was never happy until he cleared the room. <laughs> Because, yes, Gil, yeah, that was a legendary thing. The Gil, every comic would come in to watch Gil because he was so smart and so funny. And if he was getting a laugh, he considered that an insult. Because <laughs> he wanted his stuff to be so smart and under the radar that a regular pedestrian couldn't get it. And I remember you did a bit and then... And, what was it Tony Del Vico? Oh yes, yes. It was just a screaming Italian comic, and it was a hysterical bit. It got to the point that people would say, "Oh, do that bit," and and Gil's brain went, yeah, "I should never do that again." And, <laughs> and he never did it, or he would do it horribly wrong, just to teach these people a lesson: <laughs> don't you dare like my work. And that's why we're here today, working for free. Do you remember seeing him on stage for the first time? You have a you, I your memory. Of, seems I remember. Good. I remember. Why? What did you hear? Well, you just <laughs> you, you knew a lot about. I remember uh, Toast of Manhattan. I remember. Yeah, I remember Gilly going on late a lot, and uh, <laughs> at the improv and a catch. The check spot. I don't know if you ever did the comic strip. Do you don't think you did? Oh yeah. Did you? Yeah. I'm trying to remember. But yes, and and uh, and the improv always looked like your. Uh, I I seem to recall when you started becoming. The Gilbert Godfrey that we know and love, that that it wasn't starting the squinting and yelling. It was actually in quotes 
and then it kind of grew, and then oh, that's entire. That's now he's just going to squint and yell <laughs> for a long time. But I remember at the time it was just a momentary thing. Yeah. And he went, I think this is me. <laughs> Look how we're not yelling now. See, it's nice. Clyde. And, and oh, he's yelling. <laughs> Again with the yelling. Again with the yelling. <laughs> and people always ask me, they'll say like, you know, when did that start? And I'll think, I don't know when it started. You keep going up and... I, I, my record, I don't know the date, but I, but my sense was <laughs> it was a Tuesday. No, my, my sense was it was a, uh... In de- a, a sort of a shield, a defense mechanism to not look people in the eye and to not hear the applause and the the uh, the positive feedback you were getting. So the eyes would shut and the yelling would push it away, <laughs> audio wise. That way you could live in your Gilbert cocoon. And then and then, but funny came out of it, and then it became Gilbert. You yeah. were seventeen or eighteen, Paul. First time you gone up because he was fifteen, as we talk about uh, a lot he on wins. the show. Yeah. I was three. Yeah, very good. Very good. <laughs> I drove myself into the city. <laughs> Uh, first time I went up, I was eight, seven, 18, yeah, something fresh, like that. freshman year in college. I went up once, and I remember five minutes at catch, I think at like two in the morning on a, whatever it was, Monday night. And I went back to my second year of college, and I remember people saying, hey, what'd you do this summer? And I would say, I was a comedian. <laughs> and I realized <laughs> I meant it, but I only did it for five minutes. But yeah, I felt like, yeah. but that's, my, that's what I'm going to say, because that's what I am. That, yes, it was a badge of honor. I've heard you say you say that you actually didn't know you could become a comedian. I mean, you yeah. you watched you you know you watch what we watch. You you stayed up late to watch Rodney and and yeah, people like I that on Carson, and you love these guys. Yeah, but I didn't know anybody could become anything. I did, I never understood the you know, and I'm sure this is true for you. If there weren't a system laid out, if these clubs didn't yeah. exist, and you said somebody said, "Come on a Monday night at nine o'clock or whatever." You just, you know, we'd all be in our rooms mm-hmm. or on the top of a roof somewhere yelling. Yeah. But th- those, those were, it was, luckily there was a system. So when I, when I found, I didn't know, you know, when I was a kid watching comics on TV, I don't know how you become George Carlin or sure. Alan King or, or any of these guys, but luckily these clubs started happening and it became, you'd hear about it and go there and you get a number and then something will happen. And that's really as clear as our plan was. Just go there and it will reveal itself. And and that's why, I mean, as out of it as we were trying to imagine how how you actually step into the screen yeah. and become that person. Yes. I It scares me to think what my parents thought. Oh, you can't but, even imagine. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Yes, because I remember trying to explain it, and your parents, you know, were I think further old school and yeah. old world, right? And but my parents, my parents were first generation Americans. But your parents came over. You were, were immigrants. Uh, my father came over. Okay, so uh, my mother was. Born. Yeah, so explain that. And and my father was older. So in his, I mean, he once actually said that, like it, in his neighborhood, in his group, you only. You only became, if you were poor and you had to be a boxer or an entertainer, you would do that. But otherwise, you'd get a job. So, like, it was sort of an, it wasn't, I mean, he loved comics, but, like, you don't want to become that. Because that life was, up to up till our world of, of clubs and stuff, it was a seedy world. I mean, if you were hanging out, if you were, you know, it was, you hear all these horrible mobster yeah. stories and it was just the underbelly of life. It wasn't that way for us, but I think even right before us, even Rodney used to talk about the clubs and, you know, that you would be in with these guys. Um, Yeah, they would, every single comic back then 
would say, yeah, I worked with these guys, and then at that point they'd put their finger <laughs> on their nose yeah. and press their nose yeah. down like, you yes. know, a guy I with don't a broken nose. Yeah. yeah. No, but yes, so, so certainly to our parents, I remember telling, like, hearing it come out of my mouth that so what I want to do, Mom, Dad, is I'm going to go to the city <laughs> two in the morning and maybe do five minutes of very bad material for seven people and make no money. Aha. Uh-huh. And how is that a plan? Well, and then something will happen. And and uh, a it makes lot no of sense. <laughs> it's, it's the worst career strategy in the world. And sometimes maybe two months will go by of staying there till three in the morning, and I never actually did go on. Yes. Yeah, that's the other. Part. Oh, sometimes Which, you wouldn't get the slot. You yeah. Just wouldn't. Yeah. You Which just was great preparation for years later when you'd be bumped from Merv Griffin. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> So now you're still not getting on, but it's a higher quality. I show that you're not getting on. Well, speaking of your parents, tell that great George Carlin story because that's that's nuts. You've already seen everything I've. You've heard everything I've told. That's good. It's worth hearing, and so, our fans will like it because they're into the so old stuff. So George Carlin, I was a huge, huge George Carlin fan, as we all were. And in 1972, and I remember it was right before the election, so it would have been like late October 72. My sister, who's three years older, was it. Uh, on the school radio, her school, she went to uh, college and, and, and she was on the radio or the newspaper, I guess radio, and she got an assignment. She was going to interview George Carlin and somehow got to him and agreed. So she was going to, we went to see him at the Palace Theater. I remember he did like seven, eight nights, I think. And um, the next morning she was going to go to interview him and he said, uh, well, you know, listen, my wife is not feeling well. Can we? Can we do it somewhere else? Can we do it at your house? And she said, sure. So I think he thought, well, I'm going to go to a young girl's house. Ah. Little did he know, it was going to be my family. So <laughs> so I was out of the house, and I came back, and my father said, you're not going to... He, he said, you're not going to... Guess who's in the house? Aunt Rose. No, George Collin. I went, what do you... What? He goes, George Collin's in the house. And I walk in the house, and George Collin is there. And he had done like a two-and-a-half-hour interview with my sister, and it was great stuff. I have the cassette somewhere. It was just great. He's just going on, and... And he said, well, I got to go. And my parents, of course, said, well, where are you going? You got to have some breakfast. No, it's so nice. I said, no, you're going to sit. He sits, and now he has to call his wife. I'm going to be a little late. I'm having uh, some lox and bagels with this very nice family. So now it's an hour later, and he can't get out of it. <laughs> I got to go. Hilarious. I got to go. My wife says, where are you going? He says, I got to go uptown. What do you got to go uptown for? <laughs> I, I gotta buy a camera my father says don't go uptown I got a better place downtown <laughs> and he takes him to this place on Essex, on Grand Street Essex Street that this like wholesale place where you go in and everything is there but cheaper and he goes no you got get plaques I'll take it down get in the car gets in the car so now the whole family's in the car we're driving George's in the front seat and I'm like I'm 15, whatever, 16, and I'm and cars are pulling up, going, "That's George Collin." I'm going, "I'm the coolest kid in the world." Yeah. I got George Collin. Like, my, we go to the place. My father walks him in. He goes, "Irv Murray, take you know who this is? George Collin. You take care of him. He wants to buy a cab. Great." We leave him. That's the last I see of George Collin. Yeah. Year later, my sister does a follow-up interview. She says, "It's like that joke. I don't know if you remember me, like the <laughs> yeah, twins. Yeah. I don't know if you remember me." He says, "Oh man, that was the weirdest interview of my life." All I know is I was on my way uptown to score some coke. (laughs) (laughs) And next thing you know, he's buying a camera against his will. Great story. (laughs) My father made him buy a camera that he didn't want to buy. Make a great short film. 
George Carlin stays at the Riser House. Bagels and lots. But it was just, and it couldn't have been sweeter. And he's just yeah. like, yeah, and it was like, oh, it's a nice family. I'm meeting with the family, and now I'm going to buy a cat. You turned, can you tell Kelly this story? This yes, daughter? you know what? Yeah. I, I actually, I did. I, yeah. uh, I actually told it to George. I never saw, I never met George again, but I did speak to him uh, once or twice when, when Mad About You was on. I, and and I wanted to tell that story. I don't know if I did. I think I wanted to tell the story on Letterman or something, but uh-huh. I wanted to make sure he was okay with me saying that he was using coke and he said sure tell it but there was a there was a uh, uh an event that they did at the comedy magic club in hermosa beach on what would have been george's 75th i guess or something and uh and all comics were going up and mm-hmm. telling the story so i told that and his daughter kelly was very tickled with that story it was great and, but it was really weird because she says oh i remember she said she remembered she goes that's that's where the hotel where my parents stayed she goes and i remember my mom was it was like it was really and then I did this show that I, I created a, lot, a couple of years ago called There's Johnny, which was uh, backstage, sort of like yeah. Toast of Manhattan, but yeah. it was a behind stage of the Johnny Carson show in 72. So fictitious characters in the real world. So we're digging up clips. And I, it was 1972, which is when the Carson show moved to the West Coast. And I just don't, I went right away to George Carl, and I said, well, I love George Carl. And there it was. And I went, that was like four days after he was in my house and I was like I'm remembering it's like he had that shirt on <laughs> that's his bizarre shirt. Wow. And I went up, but it was like and you know and this is the fascinating thing about that fascinated me about doing that research and looking at these old clips we haven't seen these clips since we were whatever age but I remembered it and I was like because now you can see anything whenever you want so it doesn't you don't make an effort to remember anything no right because you go oh, I'll catch it later it's on it's in, on, sure. on demand I'll get it whenever I want but then you had to wait Wait till your favorite guy oh, was on, yeah, and you had to stay viewing. up late till twelve when they were on. Absolutely. And so here it was, 40, 50 years later, whatever. And I'm going, I absolutely remember this. But then I did the math. I went, that was the week he was in my house. It was kind of mind blowing. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Must have been great going through those clips. Oh, just, gosh. yeah, yeah, and and we would they have it all. Not much exists before that time. Not much exists of the New York show. No, a lot of that lost. stuff. A lot of that it stuff's wiped. All lost. Yeah, and, and um, so we yeah we were really scouring and, and sometimes you know it's all uh, they have it in the archives and you could like put in any word if you need a Vietnam joke and there you go here's mm-hmm. every time somebody said um, so you look for a guest or we look for and. It was interesting how, first of all, you just see how masterful Johnny was, and also how, in a good way, slow the shows were, because he wasn't in a hurry, and it, nobody was selling. They didn't come on necessarily because they had a movie. They're like, well, here's Michael Landon for no reason. Here's Tony Randall. Oh, yeah, the Cavett show was like that. You could get Katherine Hepburn or Frank Capra, well, and they didn't, have any, they didn't have anything to sell yeah, either. But, yeah, but those were going to be extensive interviews. Extensive, but the, yeah. But here was Johnny's was just having fun people, right? Um, and there was no hurry. George you, Siegel would come on and play the banjo, yes. and he didn't have anything to And you'd to, see people and, for three segments in a yeah. row. Oh, going, do they yeah. have nobody else to go to? And I remember Jack Parr saying that, you know, he did a late night show, and that was taken into consideration, that it's nighttime, uh, you're lying in bed, you're yes. relaxing, so you didn't do anything aloud. You'd go, oh, now our next guest, uh, you speak quietly. Interesting. 
Yeah, and, and uh, well, Carson used to joke uh, about he knew he was on 1130. So people are either falling asleep to him, people are having sex during him, people are not having sex because of him, that, but he was a part of your life yes. in a way that it just isn't the case because there's nothing that's that important. There's no there's no appointment television. If you want to watch you know, Colbert, if you miss it, you watch it tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or stream it. Watch, it, or watch it. it on your phone, yeah. And I feel we're at a point, too. It's like, it's not like... First of all, there was that long wait from when a movie stopped running in theaters to when it went on yes, TV. Yes. Now it's playing at the same time. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. A lot has changed. But. But. Uh, yeah. But. But I, I didn't. Real, I hadn't thought about that piece. That people were not necessarily guests because they were hawking a book. Sometimes they were, but often just like we need to. We need a singer. We need a. You know. We need a comedian. And you'd see things like in December 72, maybe 71, 72, I think, Steve Martin was making his second appearance on The Tonight Show. And he brings me, he goes, here's a young man making his second appearance. He was here last time as a comedian. Uh, now, and he was, that didn't work out. Now he's here as a magician. You know, it was, yeah. And he was still finding his public persona. He didn't even have white hair yet, Steve Martin. And he thought, oh, there was a point when Steve Martin was, about a, that? was a new yeah. up-and-coming guy. They do Flydini and, 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 yes. and all that stuff. And I heard that there were major stars who would do the Mighty Carson art players, you know, the skit at the beginning, just because it was fun. Yeah. You know. And there was a sense that, especially as a kid, and especially when it moved to California, I don't really remember watching the show in New York. I I would have been, I don't know, I could have, but I I don't, my, my image of it is in the Burbank and that's when it seemed to be that's when it went to color and that's when it was cool and it always felt like that was some cool cocktail party and Johnny yes. and oh, yeah, Johnny very was much so. Johnny was uh, conventional enough to be at home with you know Midwesterners but he also seemed hip and you know he have a Nehru jacket or a little ascot yeah. and it's like oh, he's cool and smoking the cigarettes and making jokes about you know broads and it's like okay that's, and that's the other thing you realize whoa, whoa none of this would fly now it's just an unacceptable oh, sort of level yeah. of, of uh, insensitivity but I, I also remember since that was still Puritan you know it's like you had to get away there were certain things you could get away with mm-hmm. so you could make a joke and this was being risque if you'd say nudist colony, wow. a nudist colony was the wildest <laughs> thing. Anyone, or there was even a book at the time by this title, and people would use it as a punchline, and that was, "Do you sleep in the nude?" That was wow. like the wow. wildest sex. And I remember though he would have. Um, Teresa Ganzel. Oh, sure. And a lot of these very, very attractive. Carol Wayne. Carol Wayne, yes. And yeah. they was, and but the jokes were sort of, they were, they were playing sort of bimbo-ish. Often. Yes. But he would let them get away with very risky. I remember, I don't know if it was Teresa Ganzel or somebody else, doing a joke, bowling balls, and the joke was something about, oh, I only like pink balls. And you just, and Johnny would let that joke oh, yes. like, hang there, excuse the expression. Or there was somebody else who joked about having the cat on her lap, would you like to pet my pussy? And oh. going, really? Really? <laughs> Did he not? know that was coming or did he make her say yeah, that yeah. you know what i remember too carson would do it merv griffin did it a lot to have a girl entertainer <laughs> who always had an impossible accent who that she never lost you know like uh Jaro or someone right. like that and they would always 
accidentally yes, yes. say something That's sexual. Right. Yeah, so funny. Yeah. So, so you think now that was planned and with the uh, yeah, absolutely. Because it would always be like, oh, and I ride in my uh, penis. Oh, I meant car. <laughs> you know, and it was like, <laughs> which Carson shows were you watching? <laughs> I meant car. Did I say penis? It's a real labor of love for you, that show. I mean, you, you, you came up with the idea years ago, and you spent... There's Johnny, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's Johnny. Which I can't find. No. I know CISO went under, and Hulu CISO took and Hulu it took over. took the show, and then somebody let me know the other day, I bought Hulu, I got Hulu, and it's not there. Can't find it. Apparently, Comcast had a deal with Hulu, for, and they had the show for two years, and then they sort of cleaned files, and I went, wait a second. So that show... Because my whole thing about streaming is like, hey, it's great, you don't have to watch it the same day. You can watch it, it'll be there forever, don't worry about it. And I went, yeah, it's not anywhere. I went, well, that that's... Pay. So I actually am working on getting that back somewhere it's like just, thank heaven you need to see it it's it was really yeah good so it's very it's frustrating when you do something and it just evaporates now i i have to ask you a question because <coughs> this comes to uh cause pain to another comic and that makes me happy <laughs> tell us how you got the job in diner <laughs> Another another dead person victim joke. Yes, yes. <laughs> now you know who you're dealing with, Paul. Uh, yeah, he's, you've heard this story too many times. He's a look sadist. At, look at all the stories Frank has. Cards, come on. give me That one we've done. You've heard that. It's I not do want to say about There's Johnny that I've seen uh, clips of Tony Danza's Fred DeCordova, and it's inspired casting. Yeah. I haven't seen an episode because you, oh, they're not available. But I will have to get it to Tony Danza as Fred DeCordova was the only guy who played an actual character. Otherwise, they were all fictitious. But Tony was brilliant and... Yeah, that was a very smart casting do you, director. Do you remember who was on your first Carson with you? I know this is a crazy question. I, In 82, right? I don't, because I, I didn't do the panel. I just right. did my stand-up right. and disappeared. So I didn't even know if there were other people on the show. <laughs> he did the Carson art players that night. And okay. Lynn, Lynn Redgrave. Okay, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. I was I I was lined up to host the, the Tonight Show, guest host, in maybe 87 or 8. And there was a uh, period, they were trying out new guest hosts. Because they had like Gary Shandling had done it and Billy Crystal. And then they were trying to, a couple of other people. And I had a date and I was going to do it. And, wow. And it was in TV Guide and everything. And then there was a director strike and there was no TV for a week. And then it went away. Went, <laughs> and I look back, I was like, well, it would have been really cool. And I was really flattered to have even been tapped. But I'm thinking, thank God, because I, I was yeah. not ready to do that. Yeah, I, I could barely do it now, but then it's like... Yeah, oh, forget it, yeah. You, and I would not have wanted to tune in and see somebody as inexperienced as me hosting. It's like, no, you know. What was your experience with the man? I mean, you did it 22 times. I think I did it more than that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so those are the ones I counted on IMDb. Uh, it, could be, it could be more, yeah, obviously. Yeah, something like that. But um, there was a period... You know, I did that first one in 82. Yeah. And that was when Diner came out, so it was sort of like that was by, because I hadn't gotten on and just as a comic, I'd, so it was like, well, he's got a movie coming out, and blah blah, blah. and it was fine. I did okay, and then I didn't do it. I don't think what was his name, Jim McCauley, another guy not alive. And I, you know, you had to you had to get past these guys who were the gatekeepers, and the gatekeepers, right, right. Their whole job was, will Johnny like him? And for some reason, he didn't think I was right for the show, so I didn't do it for a long time. And then like four years, and then eighty six. I think I was, again, because I was an alien, so I went on for that. And then I, I sat down on the panel, and something worked. And so then they had me back a lot. And I didn't realize until later, like, that was often. I was on, like, like every 10 weeks or something. And Johnny took a shine. And I watched little clips of it, and I saw myself relax. Like, in the beginning, you just want to make Johnny laugh. Yeah. And then 
you know, you want to do well. And you, I was jamming, trying to get material in, and like, I hope I stay on subject. And then I sort of let go of that and realized, oh, I think I'm okay. I, I think I'm over the yeah. hurdle now. It's and then not I, like each one's an audition. Yeah. And then I would say, well, like, Johnny would laugh, and he would laugh at an ad lib, or, you know, he would. I remember one time I went on with a prepared bit. I was. And, uh, oh, the pit was, I had a movie, and we, I didn't have a good clip. And I said, John, you know, I, we, they didn't get the clip in time. So, uh, but I did want to, so I had these, uh, these cards made up, and I had, like, these big uh, yeah. cardboard <laughs> things with the pencil sketches. Like, well, this is, this is, it looks like Alec Baldwin, yeah. but you can see that it's yeah, Alec that. Baldwin. And this is me, and then yeah. we're in a car, and I'm selling. And I thought that would be a cute thing. And it just wasn't funny. And about three cards in, he's just looking at me like, go ahead, it's your funeral. <laughs> but, <laughs> But that became the joke. There's like, wow, this is not working at all. And he's going, no, 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 continue. I'm going, oh. So, but that was, I mean, I really uh, stand back now and think, oh, I, I, that meant that's such a huge um, voter support. Because all you want is like one of those AOK signs from Johnny. I can imagine. At some point, I, he just took a shine to me, and I was on a lot, and, and, uh, and I saw him be very comfortable with me and just... You know, that was the other thing that he really loved comics. I mean, you'd see him genuinely be happy for anybody who does well. And that's not really the case with everybody. You're like, you know. You'd see with a lot of talk show hosts where they try to top the comics. Yes, yes. And Johnny was a host in the in the truest sense. He would, you're the guest. And, and if you were hitting a little dry spot, he would pick it up and he would start a new thing. And when you were on a roll, he would stand back and... and uh, I mean, he was massive. That's why he was on 30 years, and nobody could touch him. Those were the shows where he most came alive, too. Rickles and Dangerfield. You could see that he was genuinely enjoying himself, as, yeah. a, as opposed to... Yes, yes, yeah. He, hitting the marks. Yeah, no, he loved he loved having, uh, you know, funny Or Steve people. Martin, or... And, but, and yes, and he also loved nurturing new talent. So, yeah. when, you know, when, he, you know, Stephen Wright, or Steve Martin, even. Albert Brooks, and I talked to Albert about this, he... You know, Albert never worked as a comic he he told me he tried his things out on the tonight show that wow. would be the first time and they would kill and they were brilliant and but they were so um cerebral and they were so inside baseball they were usually twists on showbiz and johnny just got it and loved it and gave him the spotlight because if he hadn't it would have been a very different career or much more delayed but albert brooks and we knew albert brooks from the tonight show or i did anyway and it was only because Johnny got it, and Johnny knew how hip that stuff was, because it was really out there. I mean, Albert was crazy, but it would slay Johnny. So Johnny's nephew Jeff was the, the keeper of the of the yes. flame. You you guys you, you developed this idea. You hammered him year after year. You wouldn't give up. You were very persuasive. And when you got the green light, you got to go through all of these clips. You yes. as a kid in a, in a candy store. Yeah, yeah, you. it was. Uh, and then I said, boy, I hope someday Hulu takes it off their catalog and it's unavailable. <laughs> that, was, that was my wish then. And look how life works out nicely. I, um, Somebody's got to run this thing, Paul. Yeah, it's somebody important. will. Somebody out there will will get there. It's we'll important. Get, we'll get it out there. I also remember with Johnny Carson, there would be these ridiculous um, urban legends. That was you always wondered. Well, you know, like they'd say, "Oh, did you hear when Johnny said this, this, and this, or this happened?" between him and this actress on the air. And it and never you, happened. Yeah, and you'd go, well, if that happened, wouldn't everybody in the world know about it? But I, I remember there were urban legends with Johnny Carson. Well, I was, yeah. I, I, 
yeah, because you couldn't check those things, and you go, I guess that happened. Yeah, well, he you know he looms so large, you know, in in our lives. I mean, it's even for twelve years when the first twelve years of Jay doing the Tonight Show. And Jay's a friend, yeah. but I would still tell people, I just, I didn't mean to, but I would say, oh, I'm doing a Carson show. It's like, I didn't, yes, I still yes. don't call, like, by the way, we're doing it tonight, Helen Hunt and I are doing a Tonight Show tomorrow night. It still struck me like, oh, it's in New York, right, I forgot, like, I'm still stuck yeah. in like, it's still mean, Johnny it's, in the curtain. It's and still Johnny, it's still, yeah, and it's just, but it's just synonymous, you never said I'm doing the Tonight Show, you say, well, I'm doing well, the Johnny Carson show, and it, it was never called the Johnny Carson right, show, course. ever. Of course. It, it's kind of like, I always thought that with uh, the muscular dystrophy Sorry. telethon was the Jerry Lewis right. telethon. Right. It was never the muscular dystrophy. Right, yeah. And you got to work with Jerry on Mad About You. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the cool things about Mad About You when you go through that cast list is how many of your comedy heroes you got to book. All of them, really. I mean, we had, you know, we had Sid Caesar, we had Car- uh, Carol Burnett, Carol O'Connor, Jerry Lewis. Uncle Phil. Uh, yeah. Oh, Carl Mel Brooks. Reiner. Mel Brooks. Carl, Carl Reiner. Reiner. Yeah, I mean... You know, it, it, it was uh, it, we would pinch ourselves. And Carol Burnett actually came back and did another episode in this new oh, great. batch of twelve. Great, and it's still and she's you know she's not twenty seven, um, but she's Carol Burnett. And you just there are certain legends, and you just you can't not see the aura around her of how big she was in in our lives. Absolutely, I mean, like, oh my God, Carol Burnett. And I was trying trying to explain to the young actress who plays our daughter, who was twenty four. I said, do you, do you know who Carol Burnett is? She goes, Yeah, I know the name. I went, yeah, but you don't. And you realize you can't you can't get it, and it's okay. But because we didn't have that many yeah. choices, and Carol right. Burnett was a huge part of our lives. But to watch her, she had you know a couple of scenes, and she would just every line was just squeezed for every just. Seemingly effortless of just every piece of comedy and every piece of drama was in there, and she's just it was a treat to watch. There were those stars that I I think can't exist nowadays because it's too much. It used to be celebrities, uh, a a normal human being couldn't meet a celebrity. (laughs) Right. Well, the whole the whole idea of celebrity has been expanded to include you know people like you and me. So. So, so it, it don't mean that much. Yeah. But yes, but it's true. There were movie stars and there were TV stars and and there were music, you know, music stars and pop stars. But th- there wasn't the idea of everybody, you know, the Kardashians like well, you're celebrity celebrities. It's like that just didn't exist. And and those were the celebrities that when when you did meet them, it meant something. Yeah. And and you'd go. No, this this person can exist on the earth. How is he in front of me? It's well, that was a... I remember, and it's almost always the case that there are people. You know, when you see that they're three dimensional and real, it kind of takes a little bit of the luster off. And sometimes the, you don't want to meet your celebrities. No. But I remember <clears throat> when I met Johnny Carson, and it's like he's not wasn't a big guy. He was you know he was probably shorter than me. And you see, and that was the one of the things I noticed doing the the uh, look doing all this research and looking at all these tapes. He existed mainly in two shots. The, you know, the shot when he's doing his monologue from mid-chest up and at the desk. At the desk. And anything yeah. other than those two shots looked a little wrong. That's interesting. Right, even a full shot of him standing his monologue. Mm. But when he had, and it was just the angle and his chest was, you know, he, he just had this aura of power. And he wasn't a big guy, but he filled that screen. And, 
And when I met him, it's like he because he's not a not a big guy, but there was a the, he did have the presence around him. And and when you did his show, I don't know if it was like this in the beginning, but by the time I was there in the eighties, and nineties, um, when he was walking from his dressing room to the makeup or makeup to the set, everybody was on lockdown, like the president. It's like, hang on, hang on a second. A security guy was like, and Johnny, just so he could have a free reign. But it had that, oh, the, the king is moving, you know. And then then you get out there and he's as, as, as hospitable and nice as can be. But he, he was, you know, iconic. We're talking about Andrew Bergman for a second. Did you know that Mel Brooks offered Johnny the Waco kid for in Blazing Saddles? No. He turned him down and said, I don't do that. I do this. Yeah. This is what I do. That's so and funny. you can't really imagine it, yeah, with anybody but Gene Wilder. But it would have been interesting to see Johnny Carson. I remember seeing. Uh, I don't know. He didn't take many acting parts. There was a B. Be- no, no. He's in a Get have. Smart episode. Yeah, but yeah. He, he not much. Have. And they of course <clears throat> wanted him for uh, King of Comedy. Right. They approached him too. Uh, Scor- Scorsese and uh, really? De Niro. Well, yeah. but he's smart. It's like that's not what I do. Yeah. There was a doc, a BB King documentary, and uh, and. Uh, I think it was Bono was telling the story that he said, you know, when we play the song, they did one song together. He said, now here's the chords. And B.B. King said, no, I don't do chords. I do this. (laughs) 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 What he does. That's what you do. I don't know what you do. (laughs) When you say B.B. King, you picture that. You don't picture that. So it's like, it's good to know what you do. (laughs) What was it like when when Mel came in? I heard you say, uh, on Mad About You, I heard you say it was like an opioid high. Yeah, There's it was like, Mel Brooks it was on like my staring, show. It was like staring into the sun. It was just too much. <laughs> we, he he had uh, an off. We had we had this character. We said my crazy uncle, and we said, well, who you know you wish list Mel Brooks, but he happened to have an office on the same lot <clears throat> in Culver City where we were, and just on a whim, Helen Hunt and I just walked over and to his office, and he was in. And we literally got down on our knees and said, please be on our show. And, and the thing was, like, he didn't find it all that odd that we'd be on our knees kissing his hand. Yeah. Like, oh, that, that's about right. And, and he was tickled that we wanted him. And, and uh, which was, you know, it's interesting to remember that. When Jerry Lewis did our show, he said, you know, I've never done this. I said, you must have done a million of these. It was never once. I said, you've never done a half hour show. He said, no. Wow. He said, nobody ever asked me. Wow. And it's like the pretty girl that everybody's afraid to ask to dance. Yeah. So so when Mel Brooks, I'm sure Mel Brooks had been asked, um, but he, you know, and luckily he liked you know, the show and he liked what we do. And of course he took his, uh, we were all, you know, we all grew up on Mel Brooks, 2000 year old man records. And so at the table read and, and then the rehearsals were all like kids were going, my God. God, it's Mel Brooks, and then you know, and then and then you'd watch it over the course of the week. He would some things he would ad lib, and then some some things he would very cleverly set up to ad lib on tape. Day. Nice, and you and you didn't know it. I go, well, that's why he asked for that joke on Tuesday because he had a punchline ready on Friday. Son of a bitch, he's good. But when we were doing it, if you watch that, ver- he did about four or five of them. On the first one, I was just, I was useless. And and if you watch it, there are a lot of cutaways to every other actor because <laughs> I was in the corner with my sh- shoulders shaking. <sighs> like, like a, and I would turn around like I was in a, like a sixth grade play. Like, maybe they won't see that I'm laughing. It's like, <sighs> asshole, it's television. They can see. Then <laughs> <laughs> You're not hiding. But I literally, and I've seen some still shots where I'm staring at him like, Oh my God! Because it, it, it had to be. It's just and and he is he doesn't disappoint because he is so Mel Brooks. He is he is um, you know he, <laughs> we had and we and we became friendly and and uh, 
a couple of times my wife and I socialized with Anne Bancroft and Mellon and uh, and he's Mel and he's Mel he's like and and he's never not all those things of really you know crazy funny I mean I don't mean crazy but yeah. just like ridiculously laser sharp funny and wildly sweet and and generous and then it turns cranky and you just go okay that comes with it um but i remember he he said <laughs> he said they came over they had dinner we had a little dinner party eight people and they came over and he called he says now listen i'm gonna be bringing some wine i said <laughs> okay he goes i'm gonna bring good stuff not that shit that you're gonna serve <laughs> i said whatever you want he goes no but look, i'm gonna bring and so then <laughs> comes the dinner the, the doorbell rings. That's the brand brother. I open it and he's holding one of the what do they call the big size, you know, the Magnum. And he, his first word, he goes, hundred and eighty nine dollars. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, of course. Uh, and, you just, and it was great. It was great wine. It was like, yeah, he doesn't want to take a chance and drink shit wine. Well, one of the things you and Helen bonded about early was that she loved yes. the 2,000-year-old man. Yes. And she knew I, those, she knew know, those my, records by heart. My best friends in college growing up, our, our sort of secret code was nine or you know a dozen punchlines from the 2,000-year-old man record. And that was our secret language. And if you didn't know it, then you weren't really one of us. And so Helen, I loved the minute I met her. And then I find out that she grew up and she and she could recite Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein. No kidding. Like in a way wow. that, that I, you know, way, way more than I do. And and she knows those records by heart. I went, well, that explains so much why we get along and why she's so funny. And we, we actually filmed, when we just filmed these new 12 episodes of Mad About You, we found out later it's the same stage where they filmed, they taped the Dick Van Dyke show and Lucy. Wow. And we went, this is like hollowed ground. Good We're vibes. Like, That's really good comedy do, vibes. Do you know, I remember at one of the clubs, they brought in this young woman who they were saying was the one who was taking over. She knew everything about showbiz. And I remember getting into a conversation with her and her saying, you know, I never understood what was funny about the 2,000-year-old man. And I thought, from that point Done. on... Done. Yeah. Don't need to know her. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And you can't explain it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's certain... I mean, there's certain... There's nobody like... And I just watched it. There's a new documentary on HBO, that Mel, and it's a lot of... Oh, I haven't seen it seen, And it, it's interesting. There's one... I didn't know. There's a filmmaker, a British filmmaker, who's done like three or four different things with him over the years, and they just show the sort of time-lapse photography from the 70s to 80s to 90s and now. Um, but, you know, he's just singular. There's only one of and, him ever. And you just mentioned you working in those studios that house these classic shows. And I remember, I don't know, I, I don't know if it was Toast in Manhattan. I don't know where it was. But I remember the studios were where the Three Stooges shot all of their shots. Really? And yeah, and I, I that to me was magic. I wouldn't even imagine that there was one place only. I would have always pictured them all over the place. Yeah. but you know, Mentioning classic shows, you just reminded me of another Carson appearance, the famous appearance on the Mary Tyler Moore show in the dark during the blackout. Which Remember? Is, oh, yes. When he's yes, a party guest. Yes. <laughs> just his voice. Here's a question from a listener, Paul. Ray Garten, your work on the Kaminsky Method is wonderful. It is, by the way. Thank Ilya you. Ilya Martin is quite a creation. Uh, I didn't recognize you for a full episode. Can you talk a little bit about working with Alan Arkin? Alan Arkin is another one of those yeah. guys where where there's a sort of a not so secret club of 
Agilent fans. And, and I remember, I, as a kid, I didn't... I had no aspirations to be an actor. I think I don't. I, I don't have had any aspirations. But if I did, it was like, well, I want to be a comedian. And those guys never thought about actors. I never loved actors, except for two, and I got got to work with both of them. It was Peter Falk mm-hmm. and Alan Arkin. And then in the in-laws and Andy Bergman's film, they yes. get both of them. And I just remember as a kid seeing. I think the first time was the, uh, the Russians are coming, and I'm going, what, what, what is this? Who, what, who's this? There's just something magically, and it yeah. wasn't his accent, and but you go, this guy's funny in a way that I don't know I've ever seen, and I, I don't know, what was like nine, ten when that came out, and then over the years you just watch him and go, this guy's brilliant, and then I got to meet him, and uh, and he's very much like your picture, his, he talks like he talks, and you go, wow, that's really, and and. Uh, and he was as gracious and as welcoming. You know, I was the new kid on his show, and uh, and I was I was disappointed we didn't get more. We only had one scene together. And that Musso and Frank <clears throat> scene, the, huh? the restaurant yeah, the scene. And Frank yeah, scene. That's a, a, a memorable scene. <clears throat> though. Yeah, it is a memorable scene. <laughs> and uh, I didn't get to work with, but but his his timing and his and he's also so, you know, like like masters of anything. It looks easy and it's not, and it, it's not casual with him. And like he puts a lot of work and thought into everything and he won't do something that doesn't feel right or justified or, um, but you know, it just, it, it may, it's obviously it's a silly thing to say, but it's like, it's such a great feeling to even be in the company of people that you grew up admiring right. to, to sit and work with him. And I'll tell you, Michael Douglas is, is he not, it's a different story because Michael, we didn't grow up watching Michael. Michael became a star in the eight, really in the eighties, nineties, and he's been a big star for so long yeah. that you just go, "Yeah, he's a movie star," and you don't. And I never thought of him as like, well, much. Not that I didn't think he was a bad actor, but I just never thought about it. It's like, well, he's a movie star, and I'm working with him, and he's nicest guy, and he's really very gracious and hospitable. And I'm watching him, and a lot of scenes, I'm thinking. I don't think this is going to, he ain't doing anything. I don't think this is going to be so good when it comes out. <laughs> and I'd watch the film and go, oh, he's brilliant. Just oh, this, underplaying? He, well, it's not yeah. just under, it's specific, yeah. but it's just, he he knows what he's doing. And even doing nothing, he's doing something. And there are scenes where he's just reacting, and then I watch the film, and you don't, nec- and you, you, you don't necessarily feel it, or I didn't, when we were shooting it all the time, but then you'd watch him on film and like, He's underrated. On paper, you wouldn't think he could play Liberace so convincingly. And he did. And he knocked it it out of the park. He was fantastic. And it's funny that, like, when people notice performances, they notice showy performances. They like yelling and face-making and everything. And then they... You could get ignored if someone's so subtle like that. Yeah, but over, there's a cumulative effect. I mean, you see that often enough. And Alan is some. Well, I wouldn't even say it's all subtle because there's a lot of big, funny yeah. Alan. I rewatched recently Poppy. Do you oh, that yeah, movie? sure. Yes. And yes. I remember loving that movie as a kid. And it's, it was watching it now, it's much more dark than I remembered. I mean, it's sort of sad. But they were in the middle of this, and he's playing a, a, a Puerto Rican janitor mm-hmm. in New York, which you wouldn't cast yeah. today you couldn't do it but he had and it was a great accent i thought but there are a couple of bits of physical comedy that are absurdly funny and like in the middle of this drama and or you think of 
the in-laws, which is a comedy through and through, but it's he's not going for the laughs no. all the time. He's he's playing this guy, and some of the best laughs are him staring at Peter Falk, going, "What the what? He Chichi flies with beaks, you know?" No, and I, he's just yeah, looking, yeah, yeah. and his his you you because you know him all these years, you know what's going on in his brain, and it's it's funny just to be there. I remember when we were working together on the pilot, and we were hanging out. One of the things I remember us doing was like quoting lines from, from the in-laws. That makes perfect forth. sense. There you go. Yeah. Well, it was only three years old at that point. Still a pretty That's new pretty movie. New. Yeah. Right. 79. Was it? Yeah. And I remember Alan Arkin making me laugh with a line he said, and this shows when someone's inherently funny. He was in a TV movie where he's an inmate in a concentration camp he says one line there that wasn't a comedy line of course and i remember laughing out loud because there's something so inherently funny about him yes and part of what's funny is the presumed torture yeah like there's an angst inside him yes and he's a you know and he is all those things and he's you know a healthy vegan meditative buddhisty guy and yet all that you know DNA of 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 neurosis in there, but, but you know he's a master. And he could play he's a, a convincing heavy if you remember her. Wait until dark. Uh, oh my yes. god! Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's just he's just a brilliant actor. So it's that was a thrill. That was a thrill. Here's another question to lead you to his uh, his co-star Lex Passeris. One of uh, uh, one of Peter Fox's last appearances was in a film with Paul. The thing about my folks. Good movie. By the way, Thank that's you. where we met when I interviewed that's you. That's right. In which you co-starred. Any thoughts of working with him later in the game? I mean, it was late in his career. Any thoughts Peter. about, well, he's not alive. Is it, what's the question? No, any thoughts about working with Peter at that time when it was late in his career? Oh, uh, well, you know, I, I had had that idea for a movie. The idea for the movie was, I want Peter Falk to be my father. That's all I had. I just had this moment of insight. I go, and it was started because I was home. And as I said, I grew up watching and, and just loving Peter Falk. And then somewhere in the 80s, I was I was living in L.A. already, and I was back visiting my parents, and my father was watching whatever was on. I was the cheap detective or something, I think, and he was just laughing at Peter Falk, and I just had this moment of clarity. I went, nobody makes my father laugh as consistently as Peter Falk. Why? And I just had this Peter Falk, father, father, father. So I said, I got to write a movie where Peter Falk is my father, and I played with it on and off for twenty years. Wow, fifteen years. Yeah, and I, you know, I would think about. It. I didn't have a story. I put it away, and I, I just had the idea that a road trip, and I, I just thought we would be funny together. And uh, and writing him was such a joy. So finally, when I, I went to see him in a play. He did a play, and I never told him. I, I met him once at, a, at an award show. I shook his hand, and you know, I didn't. I, I, I had the restraint to not tell him how much I idolized him. And then I went to see. He did a two man play with Jason Alexander at a little three hundred seat theater in L.A. And I went backstage to say hi to Jason, who I knew, and I didn't know Peter. And I just went to say, you know, thank you and pay my respects. So Man About You was on the air at this point. And Peter Falk shook my hand, and he made a point of looking me right in the eye. And he said, I love everything about you. I said, well, and he says, I love your acting. I love you. what you write. And he took a long pause. And I went, how does he know I'm right? And then and he repeated it. He said, do you hear me? I love what you write. I went, all right, I'm not going to get a bigger sign from God than wow. that. Come How about out. that? I literally went home. I said, okay, start writing it. And 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 at that point, I had, had I had kids of my own, 
And I suddenly realized what I knew, what I wanted the father-son story to be. And I wrote it pretty quickly after, after fooling around for 20 years. It came out pretty quickly. And I got his number and I called him up. And I said, can I give you this? And he said, yep. And then I drove to his house, gave it to him. And he says, I'm a slow reader. I said, don't take your time. And I get home. And that night, <laughs> he's about uh, like nine o'clock, I get a phone call. And I, and I, I had stepped out. I was walking the dog. I come back. And I was waiting for the phone call. I was like, oh, I missed it. And then the phone call, I just hear him go, well, I love this. Oh, this is fantastic. I'm, I'm on page 54, and I fucking love this. And I went, oh, okay, I could die now. I don't even have to get to page 55. And I call, I said, read it, read the rest. He goes, it's going to be a while. I'm a slow... I said, take it." And then he calls me, and he literally says, well, let's go do this. I went, okay, you never hear that. That's ever. great. And so then, uh, you know, it was a matter of finding a producer and, and, and getting it set up and finding... But I, but talking about working in his end of his, you know, he was in, he was seventy five, and I thought just to kick myself in the pants, I said, you know, if you wait any longer, there aren't going to be a lot of actors left who can play your father, right? You know, I was whatever fifty, forty, whatever. So th- there's a small number, and it, and it, and I didn't, and it just had to be Peter. I just knew, and it worked. And and writing for him was such a joy, and I'd write him all these big speeches. Can I? <laughs> Am I allowed to curse on that? Yes, of I've course. Been yes, I think you have been. Uh, I have been. I just didn't know if it was okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm the host of it. Oh, what so. am I thinking? <laughs> Watch, so here's, I, I may have shared this story when we did the thing, but um, so I wrote these long scenes because I loved hearing him talk and, and just, and I really, and they fit him and I was really pleased that like I knew the musicality of his rhythms and his voices and I just, you know, I, I couldn't do that for anybody else but I knew I could do it for Peter Falk. So, uh, so I wrote these long scenes it's a couple of long speeches. So before he hadn't really 100% committed, he said he was going to do it, but we were getting the money set up and we were had a big meeting with the director and uh, producers and they were having a technical discussion about how we're going to shoot it on film or video. On film, is it 13, 15 millimeter? Uh, 30, what, a 35 millimeter? Is it 15, 18? Uh, t- video, 24 frame, 12 frame, 36 frame. And he's quiet the whole time and finally he says, you know, I got to say something. You, you, you talk about 24, 15, 35. You've never shot on 75. I said, what, 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 75? He goes, I'm 75 years old. I can't learn all these fucking words. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and then he That's did. That's great. And we did. And the one scene that I remember, and it's a, it's a, I, I'm so proud that I'm so happy that I got to make this movie you know and it made nothing but I was like oh but I made it I, you know didn't make yeah. made you $11 you got to live out your dream I had lived out my dream and yeah. I and while we were making it every day I was going I'm driving and we shot beautiful up, up, upstate New York it's a peach scene it stares with me yeah uh, and, but we're driving in, this, in the fall foliage in New York and I'm in a 1936 cars and I, with Peter and I'm going how did life turn out this good? I'm with Peter Falk, and I'm and he's saying my words. And then we have these long scenes where we're driving the car back to the first position. Now we're just bullshitting, and that was more fun than whatever I wrote. But um, oh, so there's this one particular long scene where he has this outburst, and he finally, you know, I've been poking at him and poking at him and questioning his fathering and his parenthood, and he just unleashes this thing, and he walks around the car and he's just letting me have it. And he did it in one take, and it was about a two-page scene. And in the end, everyone just started applauding. And the wow. produ- I was standing next to the producer, and he had tears in his eyes. He goes, 
that's why I'm in this business. To watch that, to watch Peter Falk at 75. Oh, nice. was, I don't know that he did a lot of work after that. Probably I, not. Um, yeah. And it was just a thing to be. And he worked so, so hard. So 2005? Four. We made it in 2003. Yeah, he came so, out in 2005. Yeah, yeah. And he well, he died in 2010, yeah, I, I think. I think he was working that much. Um but he, he and and all the greats and and I've and I've seen this time and time again. The people that we admire never take anything for granted. Mel Brooks worked on his things. Carol Burnett worked on every prop, every piece of business. Peter Falk. I mean, when he ever got people said, "Oh, he's you know cantankerous and crazy." And I I only saw that when he was frustrated with himself or that something something was in the way of his work. But he worked so hard. And Alan Arkin too. It's like these guys don't have to work. They could coast, but. That's why. Why do it if you're going to coast? I, I remember sure. Bruce Stern. Is he with the show? No. Yeah. <laughs> it's been here a long time. I remember Bruce Stern. We asked him a question, and he said, I just want to keep trying to be a better actor. And you figure, done like thousands yeah, of films. Yeah, he's still working he's it. great and all of it. But he's not coasting. He's yeah. We had and there was one one night that was uh, 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 sort of unpleasant, and and he got really frustrated, Peter. And, and it was late at night, and we were out in the woods, and she didn't see anything. And he kind of threw a little bit of a fit, and he lashed out at the director, and he never lashed out at me because thank God he, he liked me. But he he got really upset. He had literally flipped a table. I mean, he was like a powerhouse, and he. Goes, well, and he like flipped a table and then he kind of felt ashamed and embarrassed about it and nobody wanted to go in and I <laughs> gave him a couple minutes and I went into his trailer and I said you're right and he had tears in his eyes he goes I just, I just want to get it right oh, and I went about that and, that's, and everyone said well we're prima donna I said no not at all he just wants to service the piece and be good I went God bless him I'm not saying it's unheard of in the office. I'm not an innocent. Bernie Kane, you remember Bernie Kane, the sales rep? Stuffed everything that moved between Baltimore and Syracuse. Legendary coxman. Boasted about it. And his wife, by the way, adores him. Thinks he's the greatest thing since Ovaltine. But me, me, who never once so much as laid a finger on another woman, me, your mother had to run away from me after 47 years because I'm such an unconscionable prick. Well, maybe I shouldn't have shown you. You're damn right you shouldn't have shown me. And look at your car. You're going to call somebody to fix it? I'm going to call Or someone. is it going to fix by itself sitting there? I'm going to call someone. Good, yeah. because I'm goddamn hungry now and aggravated. And I have to pee. And you know what? I'm going to pee right here. Go ahead. You're damn right I'm going ahead. And I don't need permission from you. You hear that, everybody? Sam Kleiman, Fairlawn, New Jersey. And I'm going to pee wherever I goddamn pee. He's great, even in weak movies. That's yes, a, like all the and marbles. And he's never bad. He's never and, bad. And uh, Cookie and movies that are not so good. And he rises above everything. Yeah, he was magic. Did your dad? Was your dad around to see it when you finally? No, oh, I'm no, sorry. no. He I'm didn't sorry. see it. my mom. My mom saw it and <laughs> didn't see the parallels because it was so much was so out of the movie. And I mean, so much of the movie was out of my parents' life or my conjecture. My my 
projection about what my parents' dynamic would be. And remember, I had to set up a private screening. It was just my family. And I was thinking, well, this is going to be such an upheaval and emotional thing. And I remember the credits are rolling, and my mother just goes, Ooh, look at all the people that worked on this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. <laughs> I guess. A gaffer? What's a gaffer? Oh, right. I got one. I, qu- I one. Go I ahead, remember, Gil. I remember one story uh, you telling about that your mother went somewhere and she came back. They had these like keychains that had a tag with a name on it. <laughs> And she, uh, you don't. Paul you is looking don't very remember. puzzled. Okay, uh, I, I remember. don't remember any part. You show us me. Sta- yep. <laughs> Where's it going? I don't remember. Yeah. Keychain. It stayed in it my mind. It had a name on it. Because we were talking about Jews, our favorite topic. <laughs> uh-huh. That's and surprising. Old Jews in particular. Yes. And you said your mother uh, was somewhere, and they had all these keychains with girls' names on them, and <laughs> and she bought one that said Susan. Uh. Uh-huh. And, and you said to her, you said, yeah, but your name is Helen. Why did, why did you get one that said Susan on it? And she said, they didn't have one that said Helen. <laughs> Do you have any memory of this, Paul? Yeah. No. Well, first of all, that's my mother's name. So, like, Gil, your memory is insane that you would remember my mother's first name. But, uh, yes. And that, when people say, well, your parents funny, I went, yeah, but not on purpose. They would, that's funny. That, and but I'm you, by, yeah, that's so. But like, your dad loved Buddy Hackett and Charlie my Callis. Love, I heard my you say. loved Buddy yeah. Hackett. Loved a good com- taste yeah. in comedy. He was funny. I mean, he enjoyed, and he was a good laugher. And, but he wasn't. When he would say, it's almost like there was. Here's the bookend yeah. of that on my father. He would say, uh, I forgot how it came out. Like for some some doctor told me he had to stop drinking coffee, so he would drink tea. And I can't, I can't remember the set, but like I said, but Dad, I still see you drink coffee. Said, Let's go out for coffee. I said, you're not allowed to drink coffee. Good. No, I'm drinking coffee. Oh, I'm, it, it's tea inside the cup, but I'm having coffee. <laughs> I said, but you're not having coffee. You're having tea. He goes, no, I'm, I'm having coffee. It just happens to be tea. I go, well, that's a different thing. And, <laughs> but, 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 and then I actually, I ended up doing a bit about that because he's right. In, in, if you're British, you go for tea. Here, you have coffee. Even if you're having a fresca, you're still having coffee. That's, funny. That's the name of the act and the name funny. of the meal. I, I remember hanging out. I can't out believe with... you remember that. I did barely. I, yes. I did. I never. It sounds exactly and, right. He's got a strange memory. And, and I remember And too. I told you that 37 years ago? Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> Oh and that God. stuck with me. You got to get they, out of the they house. They didn't have one. <laughs> Go on a vacation. They didn't right, have Gil. one that said Helen. <laughs> and I, I remember too. That's we so were funny. we That's were exactly. hanging out one night, <laughs> and he said, "Let's go to the movies," and and I wanted to see that new. Uh, um, Gone with the wind. Uh, no, no, uh, far from it. The new thing. The thing. Oh, John Carpenter's John the, the Carpenter's thing. John Carpenter's yeah. the thing. Right, Kurt Russell. And, and you know, it was up my alley, you know, monsters and heads exploding. That's you. And you wanted to see a bunch of other films. So finally, we wound up seeing the thing. We did? Yeah. And and there's heads exploding and blood and everything. And and I remember, I, I didn't even <laughs> look over at you, but I heard you say, like, to yourself... I'm not enjoying this. (laughs) (laughs) And and then to yourself, you said, Gilbert wants to see this, so we saw this. (laughs) 
As you tell the story, I'm going, I'm sure we didn't see it because I, I was so not the kind of thing I want to see. So here's this is marrying two stories. A couple of times, Peter, after we worked together, Peter Falk, we would we would hang hang out, we'd get together, then we went to some movie. He wanted it, and he he had very uh, sort of uh, elitist or not artistic taste, and he wanted to see uh, a new Amaldivar movie. And I and I, I don't know, it was one it was particularly experimental and abstract. And it's in Spanish, and uh-huh. it's odd, and it's artistic. And we're sitting there, and, and there's people around. And he, in a voice that wasn't quite a whisper, and with a big smile, he doesn't look at me, he's looking at the screen, he goes, you know, I I would enjoy this a lot more if I knew what the fuck is going on. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> she likes to say fuck, apparently, Peter Falk. Here's a question that yes. is about your mom. Hey! T- TKD Sand says, is it true that even Paul's own mother hated his character Burke in Aliens? <laughs> uh, no. I do remember... <laughs> Where they get this I, stuff? No, but I, well, I was close. I, okay. I remember I went with my parents and one of my sisters to, I don't know, premiere, I guess the premiere or a big screening here, and my sister... Uh, punched me in the arm in the middle of it like she said oh I can't believe you did that and punched me my mother is, I remember did not punch me okay no. <laughs> uh, one of the things I like so about I have to ch- <laughs> clarify this woman's understanding of my family yes. dynamic not my mother but yes a sibling talking about you know before he says cautionary tale sometimes to meet your heroes it's nice that in the case of Arkin and Falk you yes. met and worked with both of these guys and they both delivered they yes. both completely yes. lived up to your expectations this is a segue this speaks highly to my taste yeah because I didn't pick assholes interesting and I'm gonna, and this is a perfect segue because we we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about someone we have in common that we all admire. Who's oh, that? And that is a friend of this show. Who's that? Richard Kind. Yes, I never cared for him. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us anything before you get out of here? Because we know you gotta go. Yes, and I you have got so you many got things, things to do. I got nothing and, to do. Do and, I have to leave? <laughs> and before we forget, you named all the major stars who were on uh, Mad About You. All won awards. Yes. Is that where you're going? I what? <laughs> I I was on Mad About. Oh yes, Gilbert, directed yes. by David Steinberg. Yes. Oh, that- oh, the doggy, the dog walking. Yes. Yes. Oh, I totally forgot. Yes. And I remembered you explained we were meeting the dog walking park and park and Gilbert says. My dog has a when I hold his testicles, he's, a, you know, <laughs> yeah. he's inflamed, and what I do, and we had to walk away. And, and this is where the classic story comes from, Uh-oh. where I had to say something and run off. And then <laughs> David Steinberg says, can you run a little faster? And I said, yeah, I guess I can run faster. And he goes, no, 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 I don't mean faster. I mean more graceful. And I said, uh, Graceful? And he goes, not so choppy, more even. And then finally he throws his arms up in the air and he says, can you run less Jewish? Oh, what can we what can we say about the great Richard Kind? Richard you have one Kind. One little anecdote, or even if it's just praise. Well, praise. Because we know he's listening. Praise are plenty. Uh, yeah. And great I mean, in Red Oaks, by the way. He's great in Red both, Oaks. Yes, both he's beautiful. Uh, Richard, I'll tell you, when we cast the original Man About You, and we had these the char- the, we had these best friends, Mark and Fran, and the, the premise, at least in the pilot, was love them, but uh, they're just always over. Do we have to see them? And there was sort of in a comedically nuisance way. And Richard walked in the door and just killed it. And he was, we said, yes, please, can we have this guy? And then we had to audition uh, the wife, uh, Fran. And 
and and and every actress I felt so bad because we were all just hysterical watching Richard. Even when he already had the part, but now we had to just sit through all these other interviews, uh, auditions, and we're going, oh, I feel so bad for all these women because Richard is just crushing it, and nobody <laughs> nobody's going to be that funny opposite him, and and really nobody can. He's just hugely funny. He's such a talent, and and I think sometimes you know, and and he because he can do so many things, and he's yeah, so he can break your heart in he a Pixar movie. He can break your heart. He's yeah. beautiful. Oh God, that yeah. was gorgeous. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah Bing Bong. And, and, yeah, he was beautiful in that. And and I guess oh, I, I share this somewhat, and a lot of comics. I think sometimes we play against. You know, well, I don't want to. I don't want to go the easy route. And I, and sometimes he, he will sit on his hands, sit on his comedy hands, and, and and go the other way. And a couple of times I would say to him on this, I go, Richard, go to funny way on this, and he would go, all right, and then, <laughs> and then open a faucet, and boom, it's the funniest thing. You go, that's all. And I mean, he, I mean, it's it's so e- it's not so easy, but he's just so funny. And and powerfully funny. I mean, and I'll tell you one of the things that's what sort of solidified this this uh, reboot when we visited. Helen and I had been in touch, and 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 we had gotten together all the time, and but we had not all together as a cast gotten together. And the moment it became real was when I opened the door and Richard Kine walks in with a big line. Goes, when a child leaves the home, it's like a death. And I went, okay, we're back in show. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> it was, it was like you know, it, there was such a, almost for me, it was like a such a familiar. It was almost like a, a, an iconic moment. Richard Kine bursting into a door is going to give you funny. Always. He's a guy who's just joyful to watch. You you, you, you get the a, sense that he loves his work, he loves doing what he's doing, and he jumps off the screen he does, no matter what he's playing. Yeah, he, he is just a powerful... And he's and his rhythm is uniquely his, and his his mishigas is uniquely his. He's a, Yeah, he's, he's a, I love him to pieces. Let's get to the plugs and what's going on with you. It's a real in, hair. Com, oh, uh, the plug. Com, <laughs> Kaminsky Method. That's on Netflix? Yes. I hope they pick up a second season if they're smart, because I would love to go back and make some more. That was really fun. You were great. Martin is, as I said, a great invention. I want to plug Red Oaks, both for you and Richard. And sure. it was nice to see you playing uh, Son of a Bitch and, pl- and, pl- and playing it convincingly. You say Son of a Bitch, I say oh, yeah. misunderstood. Really? <laughs> He's good. He's kind of and I noticed He's you. Edgy. Yeah, Little you edgy. compared him to Richard Crenna's character in uh, in Flamingo Kid. Oh, that's right. And well, there, you do a lot of th- research. There were some similarities. Shit. I'm a sick person, Paul. What do you know about the Chinese version of Mad About You? It's called Sin Hung Gang Yu. Yes. <laughs> Uh, which doesn't translate quite the same. I don't. Or know the my, Spanish version. I saw one of them. I saw. It didn't seem funny to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you. You know what? It's funny. They they took our scripts and my friend my my dear friend uh, Billy Grunfest you know for funny guy funny guy and who who's uh, also was a writer and producer I'm mad about you all those years he went over there sort of as the liaison and uh, consultant and because they'd never done uh, a multicam camera in China so this was the first and so uh, so he was sort of helping them with a the format but also with what made them uh, mad about you work so he would help them he would they would translate it and then he would hear it back translated back. And something got lost. It's like, it should come back the same as it went. But it's like when you change money at the airport to another country, it's like, either way, you're going to lose some money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every time you handle it, something falls off. So he, he um, and so he was there and he was like trying to keep them on track. Like, well, here's why the show works. And here's, it's not about jokes. It's about the relationship. But the thing, so we watched one of them. And there were our scripts. Obviously, I didn't understand it, but I remember the episode. Right, and they had a, the, the actor and actress, the leads, were actually a married couple in real life. Oh. So they built a set which was 
similar to ours. But what killed me and upset me and held on too is like they took our blocking. It's like because we spend all week going, all right, if you say that when you cross down to the refrigerator, then I'll walk to the sink, then you walk that. That's the stuff. And I'll pick up a pot, and then when you put the that's the stuff that takes work. Like, they just took our stuff. Figure out your own shit. Don't do ours. Wow. The Chinese. That's there's a, there's a Spanish language if, version too. Loco por vos. Yes, <laughs> that's in Argentina. Yeah, they made. But yeah, these are remakes. They're not. It's got to be flattering. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, so they made them in Argentina, and then uh, yes. I'm going to tell our listeners to see. Please see Paul in the Kaminsky method with the brilliant Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin. Also, the movie Whiplash. That was good. Pleasure to see you. That, in that. was fun. Terrific movie. Red Oaks with go you Red Oaks. playing now, against type a little bit. I would tell you to go see There's Johnny, but I don't know where to send you other than yeah, my house. So we'll I'm get very fresh. <laughs> but if you write, write a letter to Comcast, they own it because they, they had it. And uh, for God's sake, if you have Spectrum, watch the new Mad About You. They're, yes. really, they're really quite good. I'm very proud of that. Uh, I will say one big difference. Gilbert Gottfried is not in any of these. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> That I remember. Maybe you are. It was only last month. So. And you're doing stand-up again. And I'm doing stand-up again, which is really the fun part. That's when all said and done, the smoke clears. Like, that's the fun stuff. Getting into a club. You still having fun out there? No. No. Well, no. <laughs> He's waiting for the club to flood or a fire, as I, he likes to point yeah, out. Yeah. I, when, when I'm waiting to go on. I hope there's a I'm, fire. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm always thinking, here's your check. We had a fire. I had... Uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. I had a story, but I'll do it for next time. Go Save ahead. it for next time. Yes. I mean, we want to talk about character actors with you next time. I mean, all those great How people. Many, I mean, you have 47 blue cards. How through, many did we get to? About 26. All right. Yeah, not bad. We, we didn't want to ask about Bill Paxton and all kinds of stuff. Oh, plenty a to million, talk about. A million questions. Well, I'll have to come back. And Chuck Lorre and uh, Freddie Roman. And we'll talk about everything you want. I love Freddie Roman. Freddie. Uh, and Jay Zarella. And your Neil Simon stuff. Oh, we got stuff to talk about. Yeah. I want to thank our engineers, Dan Spaventa. Did I say that right, Dan? Yep. And Steve Varley. And, of course, our photographer extraordinaire, David Simon, who was the man that Paul just referenced a moment ago. Yes, I, that's exactly That's another third David Simon. We're out of bullets. This All was right, great. man, this was great fun. Thank you. This has been Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. And we've been talking to a man who hasn't won anything. Ever. He's, Wait, didn't you win a BAFTA? <laughs> What? Didn't you win a BAFTA award? I didn't win a fucking BAFTA. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing that means anything. Oh, I was trying to help. I, Let's say I did. Yes, I did. I'm sorry. You know, it's called coming someone... back. My King Lear at the. <laughs> yes. We've been working with someone not good enough to ever to win anything. Yeah, dang. yeah. You, know, yeah. you know, I hadn't thought about it, but now I'm a little sad. <laughs> Paul, we know you were rushed. Thanks for doing it. Thank this. you for having All me. Right, sure. I won't come back till I win something. <laughs> so it's it's the last time. Yeah, never see, <laughs> never see you. Never see you again. All right, thanks everybody. Thanks, Paul. Tell me why I love you like I do, and tell me who can stop my heart as much as you. Tell me all your secrets. I'll tell you most of mine. They say nobody's perfect, child. That's really true. Take each other's hand and jump into the final frontier.